When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello there and welcome to Thank the Maker, a podcast about heroes, princesses, scoundrels, hokey religions, ancient weapons, and all things Star Wars. I'm your host, Adam Russell. I'm your host that's also making it up as I go along, Ryan <laughs> Key. Hey there, like Obi-Wan says. This is Nick. <laughs> I'm the host. What's up, hosts? <laughs> hey there. Hey there. Don't be afraid there, little one. Hey there, partner. I'm Obi-Wan Kenobi. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Benny. <laughs> Have I told you guys about the dude that's in my Twitch chat all the time whose handle is Qui-Gon Ginger Snaps? <laughs> so sick. That's great. <laughs> Well, I don't know how to follow that up. <laughs> how do you follow Qui-Gon Ginger Snaps? It's impossible. <laughs> so what we are following right now is a trend, a now two-episode trend of clickbait titles. An arc. It's a Clone Wars arc. It's 2021, dude. You got you to gotta do what you got to do. Yeah. I, I'm not going to name names, but uh, I, had, I had an event I had to attend this evening. It's speaking of it being 2021 and just clickbaiting, and you do what you got to do. Doors are about to open for a sold-out show. I found out that this person who I've never heard of before tonight has 27 million followers on Instagram. What? And is headlining and selling out said venue as a massive pop star who just started making TikTok videos. Nice. So clickbait that. Oh, God. You, know, you, just, you, you make these titles whatever you have to make them to get people to click on them. Okay? Yeah. The time is now. Take what you can. The end is nigh. Yeah. Just say George Lucas is on the show. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Screw it. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, God. What a time to be alive. What does it matter? What are they, who's going to stop us? <laughs> Please welcome Harrison Ford, everybody. <laughs> well, Lucas isn't here, but we're gonna, you're going to hear a lot from Lucas in quote form. The name of this episode, of course, as you read, is George Lucas made it up as he went along. Because he did. And that's okay. I mean, last week, I guess it was a little bit edgier, if you want to call it that, you know, claiming that Lucas ripped something off. But... This one is just straight facts. We didn't really claim that. We just pointed out similarities. That's all we yeah. did. As many others have done before us. Semantics, rip off, inspired by yeah. semantics. Played the same riff, whatever. <laughs> so we're going to get into a lot of stuff that's kind of out there. I mean, all of this stuff comes from different sources, but I've been reading it and listening to it the past, I don't know how long, it compiled in a book called The Secret History of Star Wars by an author named Michael Kaminsky. It is extremely informative and, damn, it's revealing. It's interesting as hell. I like it. So this all being essentially evidence behind facts that we would typically put in a certain point of view, that segment. We'll just call this episode an extended certain point of view segment, and we'll start it like this. A certain point of view? Many of the truths we cling to depend greatly on our own point of view. The whole point of this episode is really to challenge the idea that in order to write a great story, you have to have planned the entire thing before you even roll one single frame of film. An idea that the past five, six years, whatever, 
has really been a topic of conversation on the side of the sequel haters who claim that that whole thing was garbage. And if they had only had everything laid out in advance, like Lucas supposedly did, it would have been better. Again, the idea that you have to have this Tolkien-like world completely built before you roll a single frame of film is crap. So we're going to present a lot of evidence to show not only did Lucas not have everything planned out in advance, but it's totally fine. So let's establish some context. Going back to the very, very beginning of Lucas writing Star Wars, we know that from last week that he was inspired by many things and he had kind of this idea of wanting to write this space epic inspired by starting, you know, starting with things like Flash Gordon from his earlier life and then things that were very current. Again, this is like just like a band. You know, I remember early story of the year days, we were all influenced by stuff from the early 90s, the 80s and prior to that. But then, you know, we brought that all along the way, like everyone does. As you learn your instrument, I learned all Metallica songs. We learned Deftone songs. We learned Green Day, whatever. But then in like the couple years leading up to your debut album, the stuff that's a couple years before that really matters. That's when Glassjaw and Saves the Day and all that kind of stuff came in for us. Lucas, it was growing up on Flash Gordon and serials and everything, and then reading Dune in the late 60s, and then Kurosawa discovering him in the late 60s, early 70s, and that, <laughs> that's the stuff that made it in, as we talked about last week. So here's a quote from uh, Lalo Schifrin, I think is the, the name, the composer of THX 1138, which was Lucas's first film based on his student film that he made at USC. Supposedly, he said... Lucas confided in him as far back as 1969 that he wanted to make a Flash Gordon type of film. And in the first issue of Bantha Tracks, which was the old Star Wars fan club newsletter, it said, quote, as early as 1971, Lucas wanted to make a space fantasy film. So that's when he really kind of got his head on straight about this dream project. He said in the making of Star Wars more about these influences here. Ryan Key's going to read some of these. Uh, You want to go ahead and do this one right here? Yeah. Quote, Hidden Fortress was an influence on Star Wars right from the beginning. I was searching around for a story. I had some scenes. I'm going to step out from the quote really quick and just say that, like, this is the best way to kick off the concept that he made it up as he went along. Because to finish the quote, I had some scenes, the cantina scene and the space battle scene, but I couldn't think of a basic plot. Hmm. (laughs) Well, you're going to need one of those. Carrying on. Quote, originally, the film was a good concept in search of a story. And then I thought of Hidden Fortress, which I'd seen again in 1972 or 73. And so the first plots were very much like it. End quote. So, again, no, like, offenses here in terms of, like, oh, that's bullshit. Like, that's not real screenwriting. That's just the process. And again, he made it all as as he went along, but it's okay. He's like, I'm doing a movie. I have two ideas. I just need one of those, uh, what are those, uh, what do you call them again? A plot. I need a plot, a plot. story. Yeah. <laughs> Some characters. Would be <laughs> totally forgot about characters. Oh, my God. And we're going to get to that. There's some really fun stuff coming up here. I know. I can't wait. I can't wait. So when he first started working on it in 73, he was putting together a, a rough draft and outline. And in the fall of 1973, I'm not sure where this quote came from, but Ryan, read this one. Star Wars is a mixture of Lawrence of Arabia, the James Bond films, and 2001. My head is spinning a little bit, but (laughs) the space aliens are the heroes and the homo sapiens naturally the villains. Nobody has ever done anything like this since Flash Gordon conquers the universe in 1942, end quote. 
None of that sounds like Star Wars to me. <laughs> Lawrence of Arabia, James Bond, and 2001. <laughs> Ambitious. I mean, like in the broadest of brushstrokes, yes. There are sweeping widescreen shots of deserts. There is a, a swaggery character, and the stuff does take place in space. But mm-hmm. clearly, Lucas is just like, uh, I, got, I got some ideas. I think I have a couple riffs. Maybe we should start a band. I want a secret agent on a spaceship landing in a desert. Yeah. It did kind of stick with the Homo sapiens, naturally the villains, because the Empire's all human, basically, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm just also assuming that in the 70s, all of your heroes being aliens would be an issue, just as far as, like, practicality. But it would also be, um, like, to his point, would be outside of the box. A very mm-hmm. interesting take. You don't think the original Planet of the Apes movies are the best-looking costumes and makeup you've ever seen? <laughs> Dude, the original Planet of the Apes movie, though, I still love. Yeah. I yeah. love I'm it just so much. It's brilliant. Bold, bold to like yeah. just take that on at that time. Like every single character in this film is going to have to wear a mask made out of latex that we're going to glue to their face. God, how miserable. It's another podcast. Sorry. Think the Maker, a Planet of the Apes podcast. How miserable were those people, dude, outside oh, on that, on like in the jungle with those things glued to their faces? Mm. Ugh. No, thanks. So Lucas, we've talked about this before in the podcast. Lucas had this kind of exercise to get his brain, get the gears turning. He would come up with character names and little just like one-liners about where they were from, what they did, what kind of character they were. It's described in The Secret History of Star Wars by Michael Kaminsky. He said, quote, to jog his mind, he began brainstorming exotic names that he could use for characters and planets, almost in a free association manner, simply to develop the sort of bizarre atmosphere and far-out style that he was looking for. Hit him with these names, Ryan Key. The first name is Emperor Ford Xerxes the (laughs) Twelfth. The Twelfth, important. Xerxes was a Persian king who invaded ancient Greece, which, by the way, I am currently deep as I can go in Dan Carlin's King of Kings, the series about the Greek and and Xerxes and the Persian Empire. It is mind-blowing. Mind-blowing. I love history. Uh, okay. Xerxes was a Persian king who invaded ancient Greece. So naturally we get Emperor Ford Xerxes Twelfth for Star Wars. <laughs> uh, that was followed by Xenos, Thorpe, Roland, which Dark Tower, I mean, you know, mm-hmm. Roland is a legendary character in kind of sci-fi now, thanks to Stephen King. Uh, Monroe, Lars, mm-hmm. Kane, Hayden. Mm-hmm. Hey, <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm going to cast that guy one day. Crispin, Layla, Xena, Owen, Mace, there we go. Juan, there we go. <laughs> Star. <laughs> <laughs> Keep it vague. Can you imagine a character named Star in Star Wars? <laughs> Barb and Star go to Vista Del Mar. Great movie. <laughs> uh, Bale, there we go. Biggs, all right. Bly, Kane, Clegg, Fleet, and Valorum. I mean, that's a, a lot of stuff got put into use. Yeah. yeah. He was tiptoeing around. And then he started combining those first and last names fleshing out their purposes, getting a little, like those little character nuggets like we talked about, and it gets, it gets fun here. So after some exploration, this is what we've landed on. Alexander Xerxes Twelfth is the, quote, emperor of Descartes. Owen Lars is uh, an imperial general. Han Solo is the leader of the Hubble people, naturally. <laughs> and our old pal Mace Windy is a Jedi Bendu. What was the Dune reference for, for Bendu? It just is Bendu. Mm-hmm. Pra, prana. Prana Bendu. Yeah, right. <laughs> C2 Thorpe is a space pilot. That's wild. 
that C2 was in there, like like from the inception of the idea for him. Uh, while Anakin Starkiller is the king of Bebers, <laughs> or we could say Biebers. I'm, I'm going Biebers. be more unfortunate. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, Luke Skywalker is the prince of Biebers. So, you know, Anakin Starkiller is the king of Biebers, but Luke Skywalker, wonder what the difference in the Starkiller and Skywalker there was, but... The king and prince of the Beavers, believers to the end. Uh, he came up with planets such as Yoshiro and Aquile, the desert planets. Those are the door. Wait, Aquile is a desert planet? Curveball. <laughs> I mean, I get it, I guess. What, hey, what if CAT really spelled dog? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Uh, Norton 3 is an ice planet, and Yavin was a jungle world with its native eight foot tall Wookiees. Mm-hmm. There we go. Yeah. That's crazy, mm-hmm. man, to just think about like the whiteboard, you know, it wasn't a whiteboard, yeah. but whatever it was, like pulling stuff when the story actually came together, like, okay, like how do you get from the jungle world of Yavin with Wookiees to the forest planet of Endor kind of, and Chewbacca is a Wookiee and Yavin is the rebel base. Like, it's crazy. What a crazy yeah. brain. This, if nothing else, obviously there's going to be much more evidence that we're about to drop here, but this little insight into his creative process makes it clear that the dude just has a lot of ideas. It's like he has giant barrels of Legos, some of which came from like, you know, uh, a dump truck kit. Some came from an airplane kit. Some came from a moose or something. And he's trying to make this new thing. And he's like, well, shit, this one will work. Oh, this will work too. They're all his Legos. I mean, he borrowed some of the Legos, let's be honest. But (laughs) nonetheless, he's winging it and, there's a great quote later about how the you get to a point where like the characters you're you're at the mercy of the characters and what their paths are. You have to stop trying to write the story and you're sort of uncovering the story in a way. I don't remember the exact quote, but that's great writing when like the idea of bringing Darth Vader and Father Skywalker together as one character. There was like no question. We've got this redundancy, we've got this this this. They have to be the same person. And then since that happens, now this has to happen. Now the emperor has to be the Sith Lord. You know, it's cool, man. None of this bums me out at all. No. It's it's, quite the opposite. You know, we make this reference, but maybe people think it's cool. We talk, obviously we are musicians and writing songs. It's like, I feel like I'm always the person in the band to be like, let's just try this idea because you never know. What happens, Some it might spark another idea. Mm-hmm. Someone might be like, that's cool. What if we did this? It's like I my least favorite thing when it's like the four of us writing a song or like jamming on things is when someone's like, nah. I'm like, can we just try it? Who knows? <laughs> yeah. Like what yeah. is going like to happen on the other end it. of it? Yeah. So like this is like write down all the bad ideas. Talk about them. Maybe you spend a whole day talking about Clegg before you you or whatever other weird name is uh you know like xerxes 12 like maybe you wind up somewhere yeah maybe you (laughs) fully flush out where alexander xerxes the 12th ends up in the story yeah Yeah. and then the story's awesome and at the last minute you're like "Mm, let's call him darth vader and then you're like all right we're good (laughs) (laughs) all right so let's get into like i'll list off a handful of sort of i don't want to say main points but popular quote plot holes or things that he put into the original films as he went along that made the prequels kind of tough to navigate and still when you look back like all of it is the kind of stuff like i said before that we talk about in a certain point of view we talk about then having to explain you know using that very line the darth vader anakin skywalker continuity 
kerfuffle, mm-hmm. you know? So the first one is that Vader and quote father Skywalker, which was the name that was in the notes and in the, the outlines in the early drafts, they were distinctly two different people in the beginning, straight up. And we'll reference specific things. Vader was just like the big bad. Yeah. Just one dimensional, big bad guy. Uh, the idea of Luke and Leia being siblings, the emperor as a Sith Lord that was not laid out early on at all. Uh, Leia remembering her mother, as she mentioned in Return of the Jedi. The line that Obi-Wan says as Luke leaves Dagobah, that boy is our last hope. That's a little iffy. Mm. Ben claiming not to remember R2 in A New Hope He when he first meets up with Luke. I don't remember owning a droid, that thing. It's weird. The droid one's tough because Luke was unconscious. There's, there's, he's not hiding anything from yeah. Luke. So it's a, that, that is definitely a, a tough one that, like, yeah. again, just don't be an asshole. It, it, like, <laughs> oops, it's a movie. Yeah, yeah. You know, adults always tell the truth. They never have secrets. They never keep yeah. secrets from their kids or their friends. Like, we know this. You become an adult, you only tell the truth. <laughs> That's how it works. <laughs> and then the idea of the fact that R2 and 3PO are in every single film, and R2 is right by Anakin's side all the way to the prequels, all the clone rollers. R2 is everywhere. His memory is never erased, but he tells Luke nothing throughout the whole original trilogy. He tells him nothing. Nothing like, hey, man. And, and Luke clearly understands him when in the ship, though. That's it. Yeah. It's only when they're in, in the X-Wing. Mm-hmm. So it would have had to have been like on the way to, right? It would have had to have been like when they were in the X-Wing flying to Dagobah, like on a long trip. And R2 would have had to be like, all right, bud. Yeah. <laughs> Let me tell you a story. Let me tell you what's yeah. going on here. Because, I mean, otherwise he's just sort of reacting reacting to the beeps and boops, right? Because he's, you know, he's reading what R2 is saying on the screen. Yeah. He doesn't have Ray's magical ability to be raised on a desert planet and speak every language in the galaxy. <laughs> and the last one, the idea that he knew what the Clone Wars were when he wrote A New Hope because he inserted that one line in Obi-Wan's house. So those, those are kind of the big ones that I just thought of off the top of my head. We get into some other stuff here, but let's first address this idea of Vader and Anakin Skywalker, Father Skywalker, the, the many different names that he was in the early drafts. The idea that they were two different people because they were. It's an objective truth. And all of this, we should say also, all of this is a response to, like, the whole reason I said, hey, we should make an episode like this is because I posted, oh, it was just, I think it was just a picture of Luke and Leia kissing, and the caption was like, <laughs> it was a response to someone talking shit on JJ and Kathleen Kennedy for not having an absolute plan for the sequel trilogy, and it was a picture of Luke and Leia kissing, and the caption was, when you absolutely have a plan for the whole trilogy. <laughs> yeah. And then I, I think I reposted that, or I posted something, and the comments went off. Like, oh, he absolutely did. He laid out the whole prequels, this, and everyone just asserting that Lucas had this vision from day one, which he didn't. And again, it's okay. Nope. Okay, so Darth Vader in the early drafts, I mean, leading right up to the shooting script, which was a kind of a version of his third draft, which was kind of a 3.5, I think, somewhere in there when they started shooting and then when they were in pre-production. All the way up to there, Darth Vader was not the Black Knight, I am your father, supervillain, fallen hero, that we know today, he was just simply, quote, a tall, grim-looking man. It wasn't until he actually became an icon and became a fan favorite that Lucas was like, oh, I guess I need to do more with this character. He was just supposed to be, like Ryan said, the big bad. The heavy. Yeah. Isn't that what they call him in, like, old westerns? Yeah. The bad guy's called the heavy, I think, on set. He was, um, he was meant to die at some point, like a phasma kind of character, you know what I mean? just there to look kind of mean and not really have a ton of depth. He dies in one version along with Governor Hodak. 
I think. And when the giant space fortress, quote, is blown up by the Wookiee attack ships, that he doesn't have a mask at this point. Hmm. He wouldn't even become the that kind of silhouette that we know as Darth Vader until several revisions in probably like the, I want to say second draft leading into the third one, right? Mm. Vader was just going to be a simple villain. He was just a human general. Lucas then took that idea and a few other characters, combined it all together in the second draft to be a more focused, familiar version of Vader, still not fully fleshed out though. Darth was also not originally a Sith title. The term Sith was floating around. Lucas had that in his head. He knew that that was going to be some kind of thing, but Darth was literally his first name in the early ones. Just to say it again, because I'm sure we've said it a million times, Sith is never even uttered in the original trilogy. Right. It's just floating around in Lucas's notes. Yeah. And if I'm not mistaken, I think it was said first in a novelization or another EU novel. It was way more focused on the dark side. That that was mm-hmm. what yeah, I think like, as far as he thought it would go. There's a, a there's a character named Prince Valorum, who is actually a Sith in, in one of these early drafts, who turns out during, I think, during the Death Star escape, ends up redeeming himself, kind of like Huck's style, and that's maybe where they pulled that idea from, mm-hmm. redeems himself by helping the rebels escape. The protagonist's father, who at this point I think is Anakin with two ends, Anakin Starkiller, I think, in the first draft, his father, Kane, has artificial legs and arms, some artificial organs. It seems like Lucas just took all of that and was like, this is too messy, I'm going to make this one guy. Mm-hmm. Shelved some of it for later, you know, that more machine now than man line that he saved for the conversation with Ben on Dagobah and Return of the Jedi. Again, it's just the process and it's okay. At one point, Luke was a girl. At one point, Luke had two brothers. They were twins named Biggs and Wendy. (laughs) Obi-Wan doesn't appear in the story until the third draft. It's crazy. Biggs and Wendy became Biggs, a character that, you know, not a huge role, but we all know Biggs as Luke's bud, and and Wendy, he's like, I'm going to use this Wendy name. <laughs> you know, like Mace Wendy was going to be a thing. It's like, why was he so stuck on Wendy? <laughs> Love that riff, dude. Determined. <laughs> exactly. He's the, the guy in the band that just wouldn't give up on whatever riff that everyone else was like, dude, we love you. But no. Anytime somebody comes to hang out and we're just talking, he starts playing the riff in the background. I'm like, dude, that's his riff. He loves it. Do you want to hear it too? When we're like 21 on a couch at like a house party, he's yeah. playing the riff. Windy. Nick, didn't you have didn't you have something about Luke as the girl? Yeah. Speaking of Luke or the main protagonist, I guess, being female, I read on Screen Rant that in early drafts, Luke was a 16-year-old girl who fell in love with Han Solo who would have been the same age in this draft. The character remained female long enough for concept artist Ralph McCordy to actually draw up some concept art, and that art sort of looks like what Ray might have been based off of. Oh, yeah. So Han Solo would have been young in that original version. Yeah, yeah same age, not creepy. Yeah, I was gonna yeah. Say. <laughs> there was another quote that I didn't include here where Lucas talked about some of the motivation of possibly making Luke female is that there just there weren't hardly any female characters in the whole story and he was bummed on that. It and I guess, you know, the way it worked out he had Leia and he was like, okay, well I guess that's enough. <laughs> so you kinda still dropped the ball a little bit, but that was apparently his motivation for considering that. So fast forward to a, a more focused version of Star Wars that's much closer to what we all know as a new hope. They get into pre production They're ready to roll. They have a shooting script. They get into shooting, and they're a month into it. Luke Skywalker is still called Luke Starkiller. And then 
the news about Charles Manson comes out. Rick and Dalton. And Lucas got a little spooked by that and was like, okay, so people knew about the name Starkiller and started asking because the idea of a Starkiller, a person killing stars in Hollywood came into the public consciousness. So he had people asking him like, are you making a movie about mass murderers or something? <laughs> so he said, okay, I'm not going to use that name anymore. You see, and we think it's, you think it's really different now than it was then. It's not. Mm-hmm. You just see more of it now, but yeah, it's the same shit. Like, what press? What are you talking about? <laughs> yes, I'm making a movie about mass murders in space. <laughs> so he is, while he was in production also, Lucas decided Darth Vader should kill Kenobi in the duel. This is during production. He was still drafting as they were making the movie. So this whole concept of Ben Kenobi's voice at the end speaking to Luke through the force wasn't even part of the original script. He started writing the the revised fourth draft while they were in London during pre-production and continued when they were in Tunisia actually shooting and didn't finish it until they were back in England at Pinewood shooting all the other soundstage stuff. And Lucas said, quote, I started writing the revised fourth draft while we were in London doing pre-production. I continued when I was in Tunisia and didn't finish until we were back in England. Exactly what I said from the dude's mouth. So this isn't hearsay. He was open about it. I mean, dude, I tell the story all the time and I I didn't build a multi-billion dollar empire, but the song that allows me to continue having a job in music almost didn't go on our record because I couldn't write it. I couldn't finish it. Like I was writing up until zero hour. Like another band is coming into this studio in four in 72 hours and you can't be here anymore. And I almost didn't finish that song. So I think it's just a testament to how fluid writing can be for, for someone who has, you know, someone like him who just has these ideas in his brain that like, it's, it's like never finished. You know, I think still to this day, he's sitting at home right now and it's not finished. Yeah. It, it has to be exactly like the, you know, the cliche, an album is never finished, just abandoned, mm-hmm. that idea. Clearly, that's how he thinks about his art. Mm-hmm. At some point during the third draft, some ideas for the prequel backstory start to kind of bubble up, just based on how the process goes. Because in creating these characters, you create their backstory, which helps inform how the story plays out because they become real people in a way. Yeah, he said, quote, it isn't really until it evolved into what is close to what Star Wars is now that I began to go back and deal with the stories that evolved to get us to that point. Crazy. And he said that on the special features on the, the Laserdisc interview. That wasn't in some like obscure, you know, magazine thing or something. My dad actually got a Laserdisc player. Mm-hmm. We didn't have it for very long. Like recently? He returned it. No, when we were kid, when I was a kid. Oh. He, he, he yeah. brought home a Laserdisc player and was like, we were getting laser discs from Blockbuster. Sick. I just yeah. saw uh, in an antique store here a laser disc of Return of the Jedi. And it's so odd. It, it, I was thinking about all the things in the antique store, like clocks and just like these weird things from like the 50s and 60s. And I'm like, this laser disc is more useless than a clock from 1960. <laughs> Can you get a laser disc player on, on Probably, eBay or I somewhere assume, that yeah. would still work? I bet Yeah, you can. but I don't know what like, the there. benefit is, you know, unless there's these special features maybe, but like it's not going to look better than anything. Well, all of the, the despecialized versions mm. that are out there, the higher quality shots that don't have the special edition stuff on them came from Laserdisc. Oh, but speaking okay. of, there's the there's one. Yep, that's exactly what I saw. Wow, nice. CBS Fox <laughs> in the corner. Laser video disc, two giant vinyl sized discs. It's Look two. You like you have to change it. 
Yeah. In the middle of the movie? Or is one the special features? I think one special features, but there are two sides. So you, you do have to take it out and turn it over. Unless you have a player that would play both sides, I think. Wow. You know? You had to be real And the idea, though, was that, that. that this was way higher quality video than we, we were used to watching on VHS, right? It was just too complicated. It didn't quite work. Yeah, I mean, th- think about how hard it was to maintain a CD in terms of, like, not scratching it. I know. Think about this giant thing. Yeah, well, we had one in the house for about, I'll have to ask him, but I, I, I think it was, like, two months or something and and it was for that reason i think even my dad who had to have all the newest coolest shit which i inherited unfortunately (laughs) he was like this is just so impractical it's just terrible (laughs) i have to flip it over in the middle of the movie what if what is this think about dropping off one of those at blockbuster when you're done where do you you don't just throw it in the bin that has to be like a yeah put it on the red velvet because the slot to drop your movies in at blockbuster was definitely vhs size not laser disc size yeah and it was basically (laughs) a dumpster so that doesn't work for a giant scratchable (sighs) disc you know what we are not huh Young. Nope. Mm-mm. Nope. All right, moving on. Let's check out this uh, Starlog magazine interview. 1981. Yeah. So speaking again about the prequels, Lucas said, quote, well, the next trilogy, the first one, since it's about Ben Kenobi as a young man, is the same character, just a different actor. And it's the same thing with all the characters. Luke ends up in the third film of the first trilogy, just three and a half years old. There is continuity with the characters, in other words, but not with the actors, and the look of the films will be different. The first trilogy will not be as much of an action-adventure kind of thing. Maybe we'll make it have some humor. (laughs) Jar Jar! But right now, it's much more humorless than this one. This one is where all the excitement is, which is why I started with it. The other ones are a little more Machiavellian. It's all plotting, more of a mystery. I think we'll try on the next one to write three scripts at once then they can come out every year instead of every three years, mm. end quote. So aside from the the one line about Luke being three years old, which clearly he didn't put in there because he hadn't written it yet and he was making it up as he went along. Yep. Conceptually, he did kind of go for this. And I mm-hmm. think people probably oh, latched on to this quote and said, look, yep, ju- he did it just like that. Yeah. Even though, yeah. This is the broadest of brushstrokes. I just never buy when he, like the quote where he's like, this is where all the excitement is, which is why I started with it. It's like, no, dude, you definitely did not have, you're admitting in the same quote that like you didn't write this stuff. Like how how could you say, which is why I started with it. It's like, no, in the same sentence, basically the same paragraph, you're saying the opposite of that. (laughs) Yeah. I I mean, I guess from a certain point of view, you could think of it like that, but it's more like, well, these are the ideas that were coming to me, so I just ran with that one. And all this yeah. other pile of stuff, I didn't write. I didn't do anything with it, you know? You had the one great riff and the great chorus. That you said, yep, let's finish this one. The other stuff was like, eh, that's pretty cool. <laughs> we should maybe make something that sounds kind of like that. Cool, we'll do that later. <laughs> like, that's what it is. The um, The prehistory notes that he had for these characters, like we talked about, started to kind of build out this world, introducing specific characters like Father Skywalker and Ben Kenobi. And it's during this process, again, this is while he was writing the third draft of A New Hope, that they started to become a more cohesive prehistory, but only in Lucas's words, about seven or eight pages by the time the final draft was written the next year, which he talked about in a a 1999 interview. So this prehistory, the development of these characters was only seven or eight pages long. Mm, And and that's what he's speaking on now in 99. So 20 years later, quote, I just sat down and went through the entire story, 
I think it came around the third or fourth draft. I wrote a treatment or a book of notes. It was reasonably loose, but it laid out the basic story of what happens, who does what to whom, and the various major issues, end quote. So again, not like the full story, not a proper treatment, even just a bunch of notes, descriptions, general ideas. And then he talked about it a little more in 2004 in the DVD. This would be uh, the third special edition, I guess, DVD commentary. Coming from the the, after breaking character for the DVD commentary in 2004, Lucas said, quote, (laughs) when I wrote the screenplay, I had written a backstory for all the characters. So I knew where they came from. I had to know kind of where all these characters came from and how they fit together and what the story was. So that was written up in an outline form with brief descriptions of who everybody was and where they came from. I never really intended it to be turned into a movie. All it really was was just a little backstory of what the Jedi were and what the Republic was like and what the relationship of Obi-Wan and Darth Vader was and the Emperor. What is the Empire? The thing about making a movie like this is you have to create a whole world. In this particular case, I guess a whole universe, end quote. So he's contradicting some of these prior quotes here. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, the one about, you know, I picked this story because it was the most exciting. Like, no, you didn't even intend for that other thing to be a story. That was just character notes. <laughs> but it's fine. It's fine. I think he's just like him and many other people who have been in the spotlight for so many decades are always going to be the victim of, I don't know the psychological term, but, you know, misremembering. Like mm-hmm. when, when yeah. you, you create a memory in your mind that didn't actually happen. False memories. Yeah. It's like a legit phenomenon. Oh, uh, yeah. And I think we all, I think all human beings do it yeah. as you, especially as you get older, you know, you, you create something that is related to a time or a story that is true. Or, you know, like obviously this is all based in his experience creating Star Wars. So it's not, it's not baseless, but most human beings aren't being interviewed weekly for 40 years, you know, like. Because they changed the entire world. <laughs> exactly. So I, I think that there's going to, uh, without fail, be instances where there's there's this sort of like false memory where like especially when you know that i mean the the clickbait title of this episode which is true that he was making up making it up as he went along like he's gonna misremember certain aspects of how he reached point b c and d starting at a you know like it's there's so much went into this and he was in charge of all of it there's no way he's fully remembering every single thing he did note for note perfectly and and representing the truth it doesn't mean he's lying is kind of my point do you think that there is a way of thinking pre-internet where you're just like yeah i did this interview and it's in a newspaper maybe if someone wanted to find out that i was lying they'd have to go do research in a library to find the interview yeah maybe. you know like we're, we're thinking in a very much so like you said something, I'm going to go back a couple of years on Twitter and find it, you know, like that sort of thing where you, I think the world was a different place pre-internet, obviously. Like look at yeah. stuff like Mad, Mad Men, you know, like how, how much of a bad person Don Draper was because like no one knew where he was ever. How could you reach somebody when there was just a telephone, yeah. you know, like yeah. he could totally be like, I'm just going to like make this stuff up. I'm never going to get caught. And now there's an internet. <laughs> It's it's easier. So now we can dig through it all. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Piece together his lies. Yeah. <laughs> all right, let's talk a little bit about The Empire Strikes Back now. I'm going to be transparent. There is so much more that we can talk about, but I think kind of finishing with some of the stuff about The Empire Strikes Back and mentioning a couple things will be sufficient. I would really like to make like a full-blown YouTube 
breakdown of all of this, which will happen eventually. I actually put the first ever Think to Maker video on our YouTube channel. It's not yet public. I'm trying to get all that shit together. That will happen. And I would love to really break this down. That's my kind of stretch goal for this. But everything we're telling you here should make it clear as day. This is sufficient, I think, to prove the point. So let's talk about The Empire Strikes Back. I didn't know this until yesterday when Lucas was trying to come up with an actual story for The Empire Strikes Back. He was kind of stumped again. So he took some general ideas that he had and combined them with specifically the thing that like really inspired him and got the gears turning was a film by Kurosawa that was released, I think, just a few years before, maybe in 76, called Dersu Uzula. And it was kind of like Kurosawa's comeback film. He had had, he was kind of on the backside of the hill for a while and he had a little resurgence. The dude was super depressed. He ended up making this film and it was like, it was his comeback. Lucas knew Kurosawa by this time and actually they collaborated on some things. But I mean, he took a lot from this movie. There's like a part where like one of the heroes like has to save an unconscious dying friend or something by stuffing him in a bale of hay to keep him warm. There's like some similar battles. There's there's just a lot of stuff that Lucas straight adapted again. The first thing of note that we, I, I know we discussed at some length in our Empire Strikes Back actual film coverage was that the first draft was written by a writer named Lee Brackett, a famous sci-fi writer who died like, I think three weeks after she submitted her first draft. Lucas was a big fan of hers, got her to do this. And it was a very different kind of film. I mean, like a drastically different kind of film from The Empire Strikes Back that we know. And it was much more along the lines of like the, you know, the the swashbuckling space adventure, campy kind of like, you know, damsel showing her leg up to the thigh kind of vibe <laughs> that the A New Hope poster shows. And there's some interesting stuff in there. Specifically, and this this is for you, kid in the comments, whoever you were, the film was identified in this draft as Star Wars Chapter 2. The Empire Strikes Back. That was then changed in Lucas's second draft, which he made after Lee Brackett died. He changed that to episode two, The Empire Strikes Back. So still, there's no mention of this episode five, you know, rebranding Star Wars as episode four, New Hope. That didn't come until much later in the process. The opening crawl on the script read episode two, The Empire Strikes Back. Interesting, don't you think? Hmm. How could he just change it like that if he had it all written already? (laughs) The idea of Vader being Luke's father also didn't come until much later. Lucas basically, like I said before, he had all these redundant ideas where he had Father Skywalker and he had kind of some of the adventures of Obi-Wan and he had all these different characteristics of, of these different people and he realized they're just redundant. They're kind of the same stuff and it's way too complicated. And there was a sort of like triangle of... Some It was like uh, there was in the early, early A New Hope drafts, it was like Father Skywalker couldn't train Luke because he didn't, you know, he had a bunch of robot arms and he was, he was dying. So he had Anakin Starkiller. He had this other person. He wanted him to train Luke. And then there was Darth Vader. There was just all this crap. And Lucas just cut out the fat and combined them all. And when he had that revelation, when it just came to him, you know, like you're doing in pre-production with a song and you realize like, oh, we should just go straight to this part. We should just cut this crap out. And why don't you play that lead over this riff? Yeah. Once he realized, oh, it should just all be Darth Vader, then everything else changed. Because up to that point, the emperor was just like a faceless bureaucrat who wasn't really going to show up. Sure, because he's the 12th. <laughs> yeah. And the, and the whole Sith thing, there, there was this idea of the Sith Knights who at one point fought the Jedi and were still working for 
the Empire, there was this idea of the Great Jedi Rebellion, the Holy Jedi Rebellion. There was the idea that, I mean, Lucas knew that eventually the Senate dissolved and brought to power an emperor, but it was a completely different thing. Like half of the Senate was corrupt and there was all this stuff going on behind Palpatine's back. And he was kind of like a, a figurehead who was powerless. He wasn't the grandmaster orchestrating the whole thing like we know from the prequels. All of that was much, much later. And Lucas eventually, once he realized that Vader was the father and that there were not many Sith, there was just one, only one remaining. It was like, okay, well, if there's only one and he's the emperor's right-hand man and there's all this darkness, he has to have a personal relationship with the emperor. Therefore, the whole concept of the Sith and the rule of two is the only thing that makes sense. Hmm. So this is like what I was talking about before is certain things start to happen and then you can't do anything but just reveal the story as it would naturally progress. It writes itself. So Lucas is kind of like just along for the ride at some point. Yeah, like he's put the pieces into motion and it's just now it's just happening. The story was so good when he finally did trim all of that stuff away that it told itself, as Nick said. Let's talk about the one now. The idea of Luke and Leia being siblings, right? So I think the first three drafts, this was not even, for sure in Lee Brackett's draft, which is where this quote that Ryan's about to read came from, it was a completely different idea. There was going to be a romance between the two. And even John Williams, writing the score for A New Hope, wrote Leia's theme as a romantic theme for the two of them. And he always saw them as like an obvious couple. Well, yeah, it's the the farm boy and the princess. I mean, that's yeah, that's an age-old trope, right? Like, yeah. it's got kind of a Romeo and Juliet type thing. You know, like he said she was beautiful in A New Hope. Like he was, yeah. he was into her. Oh, yeah. yeah. Dude, everything he says about her is like defending her you know when han is like dude she kind of sucks <laughs> you know every which a lot of times in that film she does like she's she's very uh she's just taking charge unaccommodating <laughs> yeah. and so luke is just defending her to the end you know but in the first draft of the empire strikes back the lee, the lee bracket version of the story and it's the scene where luke has we i don't know in the script, if it's when he's like actually come out of the tank and all of that, but he's recovering from from the, the Wampa attack on Hoth. And the script says, quote, in the recovery room, Leia takes care of Luke. He is obviously in love with her and he tries to express this to her. Leia says she can't love him, job, etc., but gives him a sentimental kiss, end quote. Hmm. <laughs> steamy that sounds exactly like the way i interact with my sister during the holidays when, we're all, when the family's together you know exactly the same vibe some uh, sexy saxophone plays as the camera like yeah. pans away yes <laughs> just focuses on a fireplace and goes and, yeah. and then goes out of focus exactly <laughs> yes so i don't remember when i haven't gotten to the point in in this book where it explains when Lucas decided that Leia should be the sister because there's actually some other stuff. When Luke leaves to confront Vader and the famous line that Obi-Wan says that that boy was our only hope and Yoda says, no, there is another. First of all, there were a few different versions of that. He said, no, there are others. No, we need to, we, we can find another, right? So the idea was, Lucas actually even said this. He only put that in there as a way to shake the audience's confidence that Luke would survive. Because if he if he truly is the only hope, and it's like, well, of course he's going to survive. But Lucas threw that in there just to say, 
oh shit, well maybe Luke is disposable. Maybe there is someone else. Like our hero that we know from the past three hours of, of Star Wars might die. This mm-hmm. could get real, you know? And he admitted just putting it in there as a device like that. So still at this point, it could have been anyone. It wasn't Leia necessarily even then. So it, it was during Return of the Jedi at some point during that writing process that he made that decision. Even into the final version of The Empire Strikes Back, there was no sibling thing. There were ideas long before, like we said, of the twins. Uh, we mentioned this even in one of the um, one of the what if episodes that there was a sister and, you know, Leia was also a character that they were potentially going to be interacting at some point in these early, early ideas. But this dude finished this movie thinking these two characters might bang. They are not siblings. (laughs) Straight up. The other thing that that brings up is the idea that Obi-Wan has no idea that Leia exists. Mm. You know, that's what that dialogue suggests, Mm -hmm. but that's not what the prequel story tells. And I think we explain that away in a certain point of view thinking Obi-Wan has no idea that, that Leia's Force-sensitive. He hasn't spent time with her, so he's thinking, like, Luke is it. Mm-hmm. So that's the, that's the retconning you have to do. That's the mental gymnastics you have to go through to make that work because clearly he's just like, no, that's it. There's no sister. There's nothing, man. <laughs> you know? I mean, he just has to be lying, right? Like, literally lying. Just lost in the weeds? Like, I don't know. Or just assuming, like, yeah, she grew up a rich princess. Yeah. That's all we can get from her. Like, she's not a new hope for the Jedi Order coming back right you know she's just well it's like from a certain point of view darth vader or anakin skywalker ceased to exist and darth vader took over and from a certain point of view your twin became a rich princess no longer your sister yeah yeah (laughs) ryan cornell said obi-wan takes too many death sticks in the kenobi series and forgets (laughs) we'll find out again you can make it work we had to lucas had to in his brain because when he was writing the whole thing when he was finishing up revenge of the sith he had to go okay well he's seeing both of them they're having a meeting about what they're going to do with the kids. He knows this. What about that line? Or somebody had to bring up to him like, well, what about the line where he goes, oh, well, uh, Molly just had no idea she could use the force or she doesn't know how to use the force. He, he might have thought straight up Leia was not a force user, period. Well, we've talked about the idea that uh, you don't know someone is force sensitive until they actually finally tap in, right? Yeah. So Luke was force sensitive his whole life, but he didn't know that until he was given the keys, right? And so... Which would also keep Vader from knowing that either of them exist, which exactly, is also because they Exactly, because they haven't showed up on the network, right? Like, they haven't <laughs> yeah. popped up yeah. on the network. And so Leia certainly has not popped up on the network yet. So that, like that's... Like AOL Instant Messenger, door opening sound? Yeah. Yes, that, yes. <laughs> and that, that's, that's pretty, like, obviously we know that that wasn't planned, but that is a really nice way to tie that bow off, like... That she she hadn't hooked up yet, so that nobody yeah. knows. No, nobody's like, oh, well, there's another Skywalker. That's, you know, Yoda might know all along because he's just he's he's my boy, and he just he knows there's no way that they both don't have off the chart midichlorian count. Like he's got to know mm-hmm. that, right? So essentially, the producer says you need to lose that last four bars of the verse, and you go, no, man, it do- you can't just end it right there. It doesn't make sense. You have to finish those last lines because that leads into the chorus, and he's like. Well, hold up. What if we grab the second half of this line? That'll still work. If you make that but instead of and, that line works, and now you're good. Yeah. All that stuff we just did is what Lucas had to do to justify what he did in the prequels. You know? It's art. As a as a child that grew up worshiping the Church of Star Wars, I never thought it was anything more than they just didn't know. Yeah. And I don't think anyone can say otherwise in, in our generation yeah. that grew up watching. It plays as they just didn't know that they were siblings. 
Like they, mm-hmm. the kiss isn't like weird. They didn't know yet. I don't know what that is. I've never seen that. <laughs> All right. Speaking of Leia though, and her true romantic interest in the second draft, Han was not frozen in carbonite. Apparently the, the back half of the movie was pretty like, meh. like stuff kind of happened. They escaped. The stakes were different. You know, it just kind of fizzled out. Han wasn't frozen in carbonite. He escapes, he rescues Luke and they kind of just end up, you know, on a planet somewhere like, okay, well we made it out and we're done. So you think about the Han and Carbonite thing is a really big deal, you know, because it fully informs how everything plays out in Return of the Jedi. So that's not something you just, if you had the whole thing planned from the beginning, that's not something that you just accidentally forget to include Mm -hmm. in the script. You know what I mean? So there you go. There's another little one. Here's something kind of big. The idea of Imperial Stormtroopers. This comes from a 1981 book called The World of Star Wars, A Compendium of Fact and Fantasy from Star Wars and the Empire Strikes Back. It's crazy that they were, they were putting these books out. You know, it was so huge that there were, yeah. there were books about, like, this empire, to use the word, like, that was being built, you know? Mm. It's crazy. The part in the book that I'm reading that references this talks about Boba Fett and who he was, where he came from, which is all very vague and not much like what the, the Boba Fett that we know now turned out to be. But they included a, a section about the creation of stormtroopers. And there was an association with Boba Fett and stormtroopers. He was maybe a stormtrooper at one point. Mm. There are a bunch of ideas floating around. But this is interesting. Ryan, read this one. The creation of an imperial stormtrooper. A cloned man is one of a group of genetically identical humans, an assembly line product. He is a thinking man, but he serves a specific purpose and no other. A clone has no mother, only his trainers, and he accepts his fate because he believes it is inevitable. A clone is physically and emotionally a normal man. He simply has no human rights and no name. He is the property of Emperor whatever Xerxes the Twelfth. End quote. <laughs> yeah. Alexander Xerxes the Twelfth. <laughs> so at one point in nineteen eighty one, stormtroopers were clones. They weren't conscripts. Lucas even mentioned at some point after i actually i don't know how the, how this went sequentially but lucas was like yeah storm, some stormtroopers are uh even women not not that many but you know some so he contradicted himself all over the place but something he did do though with this in mind he stored this concept away somewhere because this is like a one paragraph outline of what the clones journey will be like in the clone wars and he wrote about the clones in in the first film vaguely and and I at that time I, I bet it was just a flashy line like he he had no you know what I mean he had no idea it was going to go that far he's like yeah let's talk about like where the rebellion came from and how the empire like there was a war and we can't call it World War Five so what am I going to call <laughs> the war let's call it the Clone Wars that sounds cool yeah you know like I like this idea of clones you yeah know, say something about that an army of clones like that that was it it wasn't like a full on like I'm going to develop obviously now we know characters that we know and love that became you know part of the clone experience that i I think he had no idea when he dropped that line in a new hope or you know what i think happened i think he was like yeah i wrote the clone wars and i'm waiting for uh this little kid named dave filoni to grow up but we're gonna we're gonna make an animated series he had it planned all along (laughs) yeah this kid's just a little too young nick contradicting the clickbait (laughs) from minute one dave filoni's only seven years old once he's like 30 we're gonna write the clone wars (laughs) child labor laws uh can't write the clone wars yet (laughs) hey there derek my name is little cletus i'm just a regular kid who wants you to know the real truth about child labor laws okay 
okay. They're silly and outdated. <laughs> uh, so these are kind of the the big ones that I did research on, but also a few other just little tidbits before we kind of wrap this up, because again, we could, we could go for hours and I, I think a more focused YouTube style clip is the goal that we'll do with this. So more to come, but the idea of kyber crystals, not at all what we know kyber crystals, like we, the idea of a kyber crystal being in each lightsaber, a bunch of kyber crystals being at the heart of the Death Star was not in the original trilogy anywhere. Lucas talked about the kyber crystal before the force was a thing the kyber crystal, the singular kyber crystal was a source of energy that could give people power. Just all this stuff. He was, he was pulling from some Kurosawa stuff. He was pulling from some Dune stuff, pulling from a lot of kind of classic tropes and, and archetypes and things about this power source. And the, the word was there. It was spelled differently. K-Y-B-U-R-R maybe. Does that sound familiar to anyone else? Yes. It was different originally. Yeah. But all this is, is, is to say that the idea of the kyber crystal being the source of a lightsaber's power and so on came from the expanded universe in a novel that was it the Timothy Zahn one in in that trilogy, Heir to the Empire. I don't remember specifically enough to know. I read that's actually some Star Wars novels I've read. It's so I read them in high school. I don't remember. That's where point it being, up. someone else came up with that after the fact, and Lucas said, "Yeah, that's cool." And then it just yeah. it got brought into canon, and I guess it was officially fully canonized. In the Clone Wars. Yeah. Right? It, I think I think so. There was never a kyber crystal on screen no. in live action, period, right? Was it even mentioned in prequels? I don't know. I don't even remember a mention. No. So again, didn't have that plan from the beginning. Um, and then one final little tidbit, which we've men- mentioned before, talking about the prequels and how just speaking that this really informs or really supports our intuition about what Lucas's writing process is like, just kind of fast and loose, like whatever works, works. We'll figure it out. Faster, you know, let's intense. build the plane as we fly it. Right. When they were like a month out from shooting episode one, Lucas, I guess, ran into Kasdan, Lawrence Kasdan, and said, hey, man, you want to take a shot at writing episode one? And he said, aren't you about to shoot? Like, aren't you leaving next week to go shoot? He's like, yeah, but, you know, might as well. He didn't do it. That's a no for me, dog. Point being, Lucas was ready. He was ready at the drop of a hat to say, now nah, we're going to push it back. Larry's going to write a draft. But a, you know? a Larry cast in prequel, though. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Can you imagine the dialogue, like all the vibe? Why does, why does Lawrence hate us so much? <laughs> dude, he's, he's a grumpy, tired old dude. He's hilarious. He's so good. That's why I want a cast in prequel trilogy. <laughs> That's why I want like it. Even when he, when he wrote Empire, he had turned in, we, we mentioned this before, he had turned in Raiders. And Lucas, before even reading it, was like, hey, I'm, uh, I'm really in a bind here. Uh, I need your help. I need you to write this, too. And he's like, now? Like, I'm really tired, essentially. Like, and you haven't even read my draft. And he's like, that's oh, fine. Just write it. And he's like, I guess. And that's how we wrote Empire. That's how we got reeled in. <laughs> Again, just a little nugget. But that, that just shows how much, I mean, even Lucas's whole uh, approach to sort of writing and building a story in the edit. He looks as an editor and says, okay, I can cut this together or I can't. We need to do reshoots. Oh, this is a completely different story now, now that I see this in the edit. I need to add this thing about the Anakin and Padme romance because the, the Jedi motivation isn't enough. He's building the plane as he's flying it. And again, it's completely fine. It's totally okay. It's okay. You can admit that the dude made it up as he went along and it's okay. And then when you do admit that, you should also 
lay off of Kathleen Kennedy and J.J. Abrams and Ryan Johnson. Get off their asses. Yeah. You know Kathleen Kennedy went, well, this is how Lucas approached it. This is how the maker himself approached it. We should let these people whose abilities we trust do their thing. And we'll bring it together. It's Star Wars. They know and love Star Wars. We'll make it work. It's going to be great. Let's do it. And tomorrow when Kathleen Kennedy announces all the best Star Wars TV series that you've ever heard of, guess who came up with the greenlit, all that stuff? Kathleen Kennedy. Yep. The only thing I wish, and I don't know if she's the one who said no, like put her foot down, or if she's the one who suggested it and got shot down. My only sequel thing that like had nothing to do with planning it out in advance that I just would have would have been cool, you know, like a, a Larry Kasdan prequel trilogy would have been cool, is is making The Rise of Skywalker two films. Yeah. Like I know that can't happen because it's a trilogy. I get it. But every single issue with pacing and, you know, yeah. too much thrown into one film and all that, like, which didn't in any way ruin the film for me as it did for other people. But God, think about it. If they had yeah. Harry Pottered it and, and made it yeah. a two-part fi- finale. Or like add an hour, you know, like you had the precedent yeah. at that point yeah. of, it could have been, of Endgame it could have been way being like longer. three hours and 15 minutes, you know, like. I agree. No one would have complained about the final yeah. installment of the Skywalker saga being too long. Nope. <laughs> right. Mike just mentioned Bob Iger wanting the Christmas release to be like that. That was apparently uh, key hmm. in his mm-hmm. vision business plan for the whole thing, which I get. Oh, something else we should mention before we read the, the final quote. I should have said this at the top. There's all the stuff about Lucas claiming that there are six movies. There are nine movies. There are 12 He's quoted as saying each of those things multiple times, and it's all based on what he was feeling in the moment, where the story was and how he thought, I might need to do nine. I might need to do six. You know, there's a great quote where he says definitively, no, there are six, period. That's it. (laughs) I have no interest in making more. Mm -hmm. Oh, he says, I'm 60 now. When I'm done with all of this, I'm going to be in my 70s. If I do a sequel trilogy, I'm going to be in my 80s. Like we mentioned on the other thing. Yeah. It's just not going to happen. Maybe somebody else will do it. Maybe it'll be in books. He talks about, I'm going to be doing Star Wars for the rest of my life, and I decided I wanted to spend some time with my family. So it's clear, if nothing else, he was over it. Yeah. Which I guess led to him selling it. I don't don't know. I don't know. I would counter counter that with, I don't know that he was over it as much as he, it's like a, for lack of a better term, like a mental health thing. Like he he was like, I have to step away from this and spend time with my children and my family. Like I've started a family. I know what this takes out of me. I know what this demands of me. And, you know, whether this is like super far back in the day when he's going like, there's six, there's nine, there's only six, whatever. Or when he sold the company, either what, whatever he was thinking at any one of those times, like definitely when he was selling the company, he was like, I have to step away from this. Like, I, I can't yeah. do this. But it's like not that much different than I, you know, I think what we've heard about Abrams stepping away after the force awakens and then being like, cause he was like, I have to step away. I, this, this yeah. was such mm-hmm. a huge undertaking right after star Trek. I have to go spend some time with my family. And then he was like, I read the script and it's really good. And I want to do it. You know what I mean? <laughs> there was something like yeah. that, right. That came out where, well, Oh no. Cause he, when Carrie died and they were like, we need you to come back. Mm-hmm. We had to figure this out. And I think his terms were like, okay, I'll come back, but I want to rewrite. Mm-hmm. I want to start from scratch. I want to do her legacy justice. Right. But he was compelled by something regardless, like to your point. Yes. He's like, okay, well, I, I got to come back and 
you know, honor this person. I just don't understand why it's very, it's very absolute and dare I say Sith like for George to not be able to figure out a way to be involved, but have other people kind of do the stuff that stresses him out, you know, like if it's just yeah. at that point, he's just an ideas guy. Why can't he just maintain creative control, be the ideas guy and have other people write direct to all that stuff? Like, why did it have to be one way or the other? I, well, he did say, and we mentioned this before that like he, he can't stay hands off. Yeah. He gets sucked in essentially. And he's like, I just also someone walked in a room and said, uh, we'll give you 4.5 billion. Does that sound okay? <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, granted yeah. he gave it all away. Unbelievable. Mm-hmm. I've never heard any, that, that's just the craziest shit I've ever heard in my life. But what if they all did that? What if they all woke up tomorrow and said, you know what? 4.5 of my fortune, I'm going to donate yeah. tomorrow. Finn is mad. Yes. Finn exactly, is angry. Finn. He didn't get any of that. <laughs> yeah, I, I think I think he, he knew that he couldn't be hands off. I, I, I do. And I, yeah. not to, I'm not disagreeing with you, Nick. Like, that's very absolute. It is, it's very like, <laughs> I'm, I'm the overlord. And yeah. if I don't walk away, I can't let other people... Do I mean, because who knows like how he feels about really feels about his experience with being hands off on mm-hmm. Empire and Jedi, Yeah, you know, like yeah. why did he go back all the way? I mean, we know that he did ask some other people to do it and they were all like, no, this is your baby. But either way, I mean, he went into like full dictator mode on the next three after having given up control on the previous two. So who, I mean, who knows? Who knows, man? I think there's something true to, if I do this, it's going to eat the rest of my life. Like mentally, emotionally, I gotta, I just gotta force myself to step away. You know what it's like? He can't be friends with his ex. (laughs) Yeah. That's what it is. Yeah, it's all or nothing. Yep, unfollow. You're either getting naked together or you just can't talk. (laughs) Unfollow. All right, well, let's, let's put the nail in the coffin for now with a quote of the week straight from the horse's mouth. It really just seals the deal. Ryan, can you tell us about it? So in reference to the the finale, which was as polarizing as anything Star Wars ever, quote, congratulations on pulling off an amazing show. Don't tell anyone. But when Star Wars first came out, I didn't know where it was going either. The trick is to pretend you've planned the whole thing out in advance. Throw in some father issues and references to other stories. Let's call them homages. And you've got a series, end quote. George Lucas, in a 2010 letter to Lost producers Damon Lindelof and Carlton Cuse. There it is. <laughs> That's crazy. Straight up. On record. I winged it. We could have had a five-minute podcast if we just started with that. <laughs> <laughs> but then we wouldn't have gotten to hang out for two hours. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah, man. It's fine. It's totally fine. Let's all just accept it and keep loving Star Wars and stop attacking each other on the internet. How about that? Not a problem. How about that for a plan? I love that. We have so much to look forward to starting tomorrow. Hell yeah. Disney Plus Day. I'm so excited. We're going to cover that next week too. You'll hear our reactions, our speculations. It'll be another atypical speculation kind of thing and also atypical in the fact that we'll be covering news. Mm -hmm. So that'll be fun. I'm ready for that. But in the meantime, if you want to follow the podcast on social media, you can find us on Instagram at ThankTheMakerPod, on Twitter at ThankTheMakerPod, you can follow our sister podcast, Armor Party, at Armor Party Show on Instagram. That's run by our buddy Mike Forrester, who you've heard on this podcast many times. He runs Hondo Supply. It's Hondo Supply on Instagram and Twitter. My stuff is all at Adam the Skull. Mine is at William Ryan Key. 
And my Twitter and Instagram is at Nick Bayside. And please listen to episode number 20 of the Radio Radio Show. It is out right now. Exclusively on Spotify, may I add? <laughs> you may. Thank you. ThankTheMakerMerch.com is where you go if you want ThankTheMaker merch. We have some uh, nice, good-looking tops. They're cool. Go there and get them. Also, if you want to be a patron and support this podcast, if you want to hang out with us while we're recording, like patrons have been doing tonight, or you just want to be part of the Discord community, you want to get an exclusive Thank the Maker shirt, patreon.com slash thankthemakerpod is where you go to do that. And if nothing else, you'd be supporting us, helping us make this thing that you get for free every time you press play on your podcast app. Think about that. Every now and again, I like to say $3 a month is $36 a year. And that might not mean a lot to you, but it helps us. Yep, it adds up. Good hang with you dudes. Patrons, thanks for being here. Listeners, thanks for listening. Until next week, may the force be with you. 